Acts chapter 2. When the worship's good, the pastor's chatty. So y'all, if I go a little long, it's their fault. It's their fault. We're going to start in verse 14 this morning. Father, your word is better to us than silver or gold, riches and pleasure. Your word is truth and life. It's our daily bread. So, Father, we come to it today with a holy reverence, expecting to hear your voice, expecting to learn of your character, expecting to encounter your plans and your will and how you intend for your kingdom to be established in our community and region to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, we ask in this time that you would breathe. We ask during this time, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. We plead the blood of Jesus over this house, over our families. We ask that you would shape us, Lord. Shape us, Lord. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts 2, verse 14 through 21. I thought this week about a moment in John Owen's life. John Owen was a Puritan. He was a brilliant Puritan. Uh, scholar. He worked at Oxford for a while. Um, one of the leading minds of his day, for sure. And Parliament, John Owen in the 17th century, Parliament would have John Owen come and preach um, before the king. And on one occasion, John Owen is standing before Charles II. Um, and King Ch- Charles asked John Owen, why a man as highly educated as himself Whatever waste his time going to hear a man like John Bunyan preach. Now, John Bunyan was not an educated man. John Bunyan did not work at Oxford. John Bunyan was what you would call in the 17th century a tinker. John Bunyan's father was a tinker, ran in his line. A tinker was a man who um, would come to your house to fix your pots, your silverware. I think pots and silverware, those kind of things were expensive in the day. And so they would come to your house, they kind of show up, and you could bring out your things that were broken, and they would fix it and put it all back together for you. And so Owen was a scholar, and John Bunyan was a tinker. Um, but John Bunyan was gripped by the Lord, became a mighty preacher, spent years in prison for his ministry. John, John Bunyan wrote um, The Pilgrim's Progress. Remember, at one point, Pilgrim's Progress was the best, the, the best seller in the world. It was only outdone by the Bible. Pilgrim's Progress was um, read everywhere. So when Charles II, he asked John Owen, again, who is a scholar who works at Oxford for a season, he asked um, John Owen, this Puritan man, why would you waste your time hearing an uneducated man like that? Owen responded, if I could possess the tinker's ability to grip men's heart, I would gladly give in exchange all my learning. John Owen says, John Bunyan grips men's hearts. He cuts to the soul. He says, I'll throw away my years of learning, my prestige, my clerical collar, my title. I'll throw it all away if I was able to cut to the heart like that tinker can. He says at one point that Bunyan preaches like a man who spent time in prison. As we move along in the story of Acts 2, 
The disciples have just received the promise of the Father. Remember, we talked about this last week. The upper room is filled with the sound of rushing wind and tongues as of fire descend from heaven and rest upon the disciples' heads. And they begin to speak in unknown languages, proclaiming the mighty works of God um, to men of all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities and languages that they didn't know before. They now speak with clarity. The scripture says that at the chaos of this moment, at the chaos of the sound of rushing wind, at at the sound of men and women preaching the gospel in, in a plethora of languages at one time, there's a kind of a stirring happening. And the scripture says that some men say, surely these people are drunk, but other men say, what could this mean? In other words, what is happening? And today we'll read that In this hour, the chaos of this moment, the crowds are stirring. Peter stands, an uneducated man. And Luke says that when Peter finished preaching, these are Luke's words, the men were cut to their heart. And they asked Peter, what should we do? Peter, uneducated, with no... uh, scholarship. Think the Pharisees of the day. Paul is a good example of a man who was highly educated in language and in history and in culture and philosophy. Peter has none of that. Peter's a fisherman, okay? But he stands to preach in this monumental hour, and Luke says that when he spoke, he cut them to the heart. So for the next two weeks, we're going to look at Peter's sermon. This is the first sermon the church preaches officially. Uh, We're going to take some time to try to... Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, these are Peter's words again, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This week, we'll primarily focus on the portion of the sermon where Peter looks to Joel chapter 2 for clarity concerning what's happening. So imagine again, tongues, tongues of fire falling from heaven, the, the sound of rushing wind filling the city, people preaching and teaching in a million different languages at once, this kind of confusion, and people asking, what does this mean? So Peter stands to deliver, and he points to Joel chapter 2, and he says, remember what Joel prophesied, I'll tell you what this means. I'd just like to note again, just for a moment, just that Peter is not educated like the Pharisees are educated. He's not an intellectual man like the Sadducees are intellectual men. He has no official education in Torah. And now in the first two chapters of Acts, Peter has led the church through prophetic words concerning the Psalms. And now in this moment when the church and the community is going, what is happening? Peter's going to lead the congregation through Joel chapter 2, showing the significance of the outpouring of the Spirit. And so Peter has no official title, but Peter clearly knows the Word of God. And I just want to say, you don't need a degree to know your Word. 
You don't need a title to learn to divide the word of truth rightly, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Now, I'm not against formal education. I have some formal education and would like to pursue more formal education in the future. I'm not against formal education, but the seminaries and universities do not have a corner market on the word of God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not have a corner market on the word of God. Peter didn't need the approval of the, of the great intellectuals of his day to stand and preach. Peter only needed the hand of God on his life. And the New Testament is written in common Greek. It's not written in uh, precise, formal Greek. It's written in common Greek because it was written for common men and women. And I want to tell you this morning, you may not feel like a great intellectual. You may, may not feel like the, the, the sharpest crayon in the box. And some of you ain't. I know you. I know you. <laughs> But when God puts his hand on your life, and when you give yourself to reading the word in a daily, systematic way, you don't need the approval of man. Give yourself to the word of God. What, what prepared Peter for this moment? He had given himself to the word of God. Live in it. Make it your daily bread. So he approaches the question the crowd asks, what does this mean? And he says, let's remember again Joel chapter 2. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter says, this is what Joel said would come. So in looking at the first portion of Peter's sermon, we need to look at a portion of Joel's prophecy. Peter concludes that there is a shift happening in the timeline of, of God's plan. There's a shift happening in the church, and this is the hour that Joel prophesied in which the Spirit would be poured out in the last days. So Peter now proclaims to the congregation, this is what Joel said would happen in the last days. Peter says things are winding down. We've taken a step forward in God's timeline. We are waiting for now. We are waiting for the great day of the Lord. In Joel, Joel speaks of a plague that's happening in Israel in his day. It's an historical event, a plague of locusts. He calls the locusts God's army, destroys Israel's vine and crop. There's some really interesting things to learn about um, a locust plague. Uh, they, they come in a cloud and swarms. So they, it could be overwhelming. They can... They, Historians tell us that they could fill the sky in a way that the sun would be totally blocked out and it would be completely dark. So Joel's living in a time when there's a great locust plague and Joel calls the locust God's army. He says in Joel 2 verse 3, the land, speaking of Israel, is like the garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. Before God's army, the locusts, the land is the Garden of Eden. But when they've worked through the land, behind them is nothing but desolation and emptiness. Joel is saying, no one escapes the judgment of God. The locusts are destroying Israel in Joel's day at God's instruction. Locust plague, dark cloud, covering the sun, creating darkness. And Joel tells uh, the people in his day that this is judgment that is coming before the great day of judgment. This is judgment that foreshadows the final judgment that's to come in the last days. And Joel says, but before the great judgment, which will 
consume all. No one will escape. Before the great day of judgment, the last day of judgment, there will be an outpouring of God's Spirit and His mercy. So this locust plague that Joel speaks of is a historical natural event in his lifetime, and he calls it in his prophecy, he calls that locust plague the day of the Lord. And then he reminds the reader, the hearer, that there is a final day of the Lord coming in which the sun will turn black, the blood will turn to moon, the earth will groan. There's a final day of the Lord. There's, a, there's finality to judgment that is coming quickly. But before that judgment day, there will be an outpouring of God's Spirit. The last days, when Peter says, this is what happens in the last days, the last days are that age which come directly before the great day of judgment. And Joel tells his reader, rend your hearts, not your garments, turn. And everything else that Peter quotes from Joel and says happens in the last days. We're officially in the last days, Peter says. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. What is happening, Peter stands. God said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. Some commentators, scholars say that previously in the history of Israel, God's spirit has been sprinkled on a few particular individuals in certain times and certain ages. But Joel prophesies that there's a day coming when God's Spirit will not be sprinkled. It will be poured out. I've been reading, going through Jonathan Edwards' works a bit, and Jonathan Edwards um, defending the great awakenings happening in our early history, American history. Um, there were many who tried to dismiss the awakenings because of physical manifestations. So if someone fell down or um, someone trembled, they would say, oh, that's just emotionalism and fanaticism, and you should dismiss that. And Jonathan Edwards writes a lengthy discourse about how are we to really judge revival. And he says that we don't judge revival by the expressions and the physical. We judge it by its long-term fruit. Um, but he makes this point, which I, I was enjoying as I read. Um, he said that he was talking about people trembling or people falling. Um, and, he, and he talked about the prophets who would receive a word from the Lord and fall down um, under the mighty hand of God. And Jonathan Edwards said that there are times when God pours his spirit out in such a way that your physical container cannot contain it. And he says, that's why David says, my cup overflows. And it's why the crowds say these men must be drunk. Because God didn't sprinkle His Spirit on their lives. He filled them up to the overflow so that their physical beings could not contain the work of God that was happening. So they rejoiced and they praised and they preached. They released as they preached in tongues that were unknown to them. Peter says, in the last day there will not be a sprinkling. There will be a heavy downfall of God's Spirit. A great downpouring. Peter says this great outpouring will be on, who does it come upon? It comes upon all flesh. The Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, not just the prophets, 
Not just the priests, not just the kings, but on all flesh. The outpouring will not be confined to national ethnic Israel. The outpouring will be poured out upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Not just men, but men and women alike. Not just grown men and women, but your sons and daughters will experience the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And they will prophesy. This outpouring is not contained to socioeconomic class because Joel prophesied and Peter re-emphasized that even your servants will prophesy. Men and female servants alike will prophesy. The rich and the poor. Now, there was a day, there's, there, there's something happening in the, in the narrative of the Old Testament that it's important to remember. There was a day when Moses alone prophesied. And David, the great king, he held a unique anointing. But God says, no more. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Now, it's impossible to get around Numbers chapter 11 as you read this prophecy. In Numbers chapter 11, God tells Moses to take 70 elders, 70 heads of families, and to bring them to themselves, have them consecrate themselves. And God says, I will take some of the spirit which I put on you, and I will place it upon them. Let's read Numbers 11, verses 24 through 30. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people, and he placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp. One named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out, gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said, Are you jealous for my sake? I would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. There's an anticipation happening in the narrative of the Old Testament from that time when Moses says, I would that all of the Lord's servants were prophets. Now, as the Lord anoints, this is actually a really strange phenomenon, an interesting thing that happens in the scripture. Consider, consider Saul, for instance. Do you remember when Saul is anointed uh, a king? And there's this instance where he's with the company of prophets and he begins to prophesy. And they say of Saul, is Saul now one of the prophets? There's something that happens in scripture that as a man or woman is anointed, oftentimes there is a prophetic unction that comes with that anointing because the priest and the king and the prophet, they are anointed for a function. And the function is to lead people in the ways of the Lord, to know God, to know his righteousness, his justice. The prophet's function is to proclaim to the people the word of the Lord. The king's function is to lead and govern the people according to God's holy standard, lead them in righteousness. The priest's function is atone for the people so that the people can come into right relationship with the Lord. And so the anointing, it, 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 it intends to cause you to be a minister on God's behalf, which leads you to speak on God's behalf. Moses said, I would that they all would prophesy. Joel said, there's a coming day when my spirit will be poured out on all flesh, men and women alike. Bond servants, slaves, free, 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men, they'll see visions. And your old men, they'll dream dreams. All will know the voice of God. They say, what is happening, Peter? Why are all these people rambling in different tongues? They kind of look like drunks. They're excited and ecstatic. What's going on? And Peter says, no, don't you remember that there's a coming day, Joel said, when the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. And Peter says, the hour is now. Are you expectant for God to pour His Spirit out on you? Have you embraced the idea that Christianity is just to check the box and show up on church on Sunday is the height of your spirituality, church attendance, or have you known the outpouring of God's Spirit in your life? Hallelujah. We want to know you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, pour your Spirit out on us. Oh, Lord, that our sons and daughters would know your voice. That every individual in our region, God, rich and poor alike, may the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the water covers the seas. Oh Lord, tear the veil. Show us your face. Jesus, what are we praying for? We're supposed to be preaching. What are y'all doing? Joel says that the Lord says, I will perform signs and wonders in the heavens. Fire, smoke, the sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood. The earth will groan for the second coming. Now there's prophetic history um, that concludes that the last days as we approach the day of the Lord's coming that there will be great turmoil. Jesus says nations will rise against nations. There will be wars and rumors of wars. And Joel tells us and Peter emphasizes that in the last days, two things will be happening simultaneously. One, God will be pouring His Spirit out on all flesh, making sons and daughters prophets who stand and proclaim the gospel of Jesus with the unction of the Spirit. Two, Peter says, and Joel says, that the last days will be a time of great turmoil. The first thing, God will pour out His Spirit on His people. They will labor in the harvest. Remember again that Pentecost is a celebration of harvest. Remember again that there was an early rain and a latter rain that caused the harvest to come to fruition. And the outpouring of the Spirit is related to the idea of rain that comes upon the harvest. So on one hand, in the last days, there will be a people anointed who the Spirit has been poured out upon who will labor in the harvest, who will give themselves to see the nations, the ends of the earth, come and bow their knee before Jesus. There will be a people who are consumed in the Lord's work. They will speak on the Lord's behalf. They will see dead men come to life as the gospel is preached. There are people who have a mission and a work and a labor. Peter says these people are those people. But on the other hand, there will be chaos. Natural disasters, wars, rumors of wars. We should expect, Jesus says, nation to rise against nation. There will be trouble, great trouble. There will be judgment. 
All the while, the church is still experiencing God's blessing. The church is still pursuing her mission while the nations are raging. The psalmist said, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? The Lord laughs. He holds them in derision. The psalmist said that there will always be an agenda from hell to resist God and his anointing. But God sits back and laughs and says, watch what I'll do. So in the last days, the darkness will grow darker as we approach the end. There will be more more turmoil. There will be more chaos. As we approach the end, God will continue to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. God will continue to cause the light of the church to shine brighter and brighter against the backdrop of the darkness of the world, which is growing in darkness. The distinction between good and evil continues to have a wedge driven through it as we work closer towards the last day. You need to remember that just because darkness seems to be advancing does not mean that you should grow in discouragement and lay down and quit. Darkness, we're told darkness will advance. We're also told that the Spirit of God will be poured out on your sons and daughters. You have a labor. You have a work. You should be experiencing and knowing God. Like Moses longed for Israel to experience and know him. Prophesy, call for repentance, declaring the kindness of God towards all who return. We are called to lift the name of Jesus higher as the nations rage, as the nations plot in vain, as there are wars and rumors of wars. We are to be filled with the Holy Ghost and preaching the gospel of Jesus. And Peter, this is where we'll get ready to stop. He begins to transition his sermon, which we'll approach next week. And he says, And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is the message of these anointed men and women, sons and daughters, servants, female and male alike? What is their message? All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Next week, Peter will begin to ask the question, what is the name of the Lord? Who is this Lord? And he'll say emphatically, the Lord is Jesus Christ whom you've crucified. Turn to him. Put your faith and your trust in him. And Peter is saying all, every individual, no matter your your race, your ethnicity, your class, anyone who comes to Jesus will be saved. And by God, that's still our message. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is still our promise. And the harvest is still our mission, our labor, our work. Worship team, if you come for me, I, I just want to I just want to labor a point here as we get ready to close up. So in conclusion, tongues of fire, they fall from heaven. They begin to preach in unknown tongues. Again, there's chaos. What in the world is happening here? Peter, the uneducated but fiery man, stands up to preach. And he says, remember Joel 2. In the last days, the Spirit shall be poured out on all flesh. He says there will be judgment, but there will be revival, awakening. 
There will be confusion and turmoil and wars and rumors of wars, but there will be harvest coming to fruition, souls coming to know Jesus, dead sinners coming to life in Christ, being born again, being washed with the precious blood of the Lamb. There will be darkness, but there will be great light. And so, as we get ready to close, I just I want to try to draw a few points here. I haven't made a big to-do about our current political upheaval. I haven't given you a great prophetic word about what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do want to say this. We are promised that there is a day coming as we approach the day of the Lord when there will be confusion, when there will be turmoil. We are promised that will be wars and rumors of wars. We are promised that. Now, my prayer is that truth would prevail. My prayer um, is that our nation would turn to righteousness. That's my prayer. It's my prayer. But what happens in the coming days? I don't know. I don't know. But if you are totally discouraged, if you've become totally wrapped up in the chaos, if your prayer life and your emotional life and your family discussion around the dinner table is totally consumed with the chaos that we're living in, you've forgotten the part of the prophecy that you're called to fulfill. And the church is living discouraged and confused and biting her nails. And as far as I can read the scripture, I can't think of a time when the church bites her nails. And so... On one hand, I'm saying, yes, let's pray for truth. Let's pray for this nation. Let's pray for righteousness. I'm, I'm with you. I'm praying for all of those things to come to pass. I, I pray that we have religious freedom for generations in this nation. But on the other hand, I'm acknowledging that there will be turmoil and there will be chaos. I'm also acknowledging that when, when the church experiences pressure, the church always thrives. And a little pressure might be good for us. And so this morning, as we get ready to close, if you go ahead and stand to your feet, what I want to do, there was, a, there was a prophetic word that came forward this morning that, that as we prayed, we really felt like sat. What I want to do is, altar team, you guys can get in place. If you feel like you're lived in confusion, if you feel frustrated, if Listen, there, there's bitterness, there's gossip, there's slander that's taking place on social media, taking place in our homes. There's tension within the church. There's tension between brother and brother and sister and sister concerning the turmoil. And the prophetic word that came forward this morning was that today is the day to get free of all the tension, to get free from all the chaos, to get free from all the bickering and the gossip. Hallelujah. free from that. And I think today's the day to open our hands and say, Lord, we want truth. We want righteousness to prevail in our nation. We do. Lord, I'm, I'm longing for the day when, when abortion is totally eradicated from our, from our land. I have no problem saying that. I'm longing for that day. But on the other side, it's time to say turmoil is going to happen. We've got a work to do. 
what's going on out here can't hinder me from hitting my knees and praying for the harvest. What's going out here in, in chaos can't consume all of my conversation. Do you know it's supposed to consume all of my conversation? Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus crucified. I have a message. And listen, listen. We're, we're, we're biting our nails and we're tense and we're bickering with one another. And many of us are cowering in discouragement. And in me, within me, as I pray, I feel something rising up saying, I was born for this day. I have something to say. I have a prophetic word to release. I have a mantle to carry. I have a ministry to fulfill. I understand chaos is happening. But by God, I was sent for this day and this hour to preach the gospel of Christ Jesus with conviction and with passion. To disciple my kids and raise up me missionaries to the ends of the earth. Get up, church. Get up, church. When darkness seems to prevail, get on your feet, church. By God. So I want you to extend your hands this morning. If you need to come to the altar, you feel like you need someone to pray on you, pray for you, and just pray that that discouragement will be released. The altars are open. You can come at any 